Oh, yeah, we serve a good, good God. And he's good all the time. The only thing the, the devil seems to be good at is getting people convinced that uh, God's word is not true. But I've already proved it. I already tested it. I'm here standing since 1985. Been through many battles. Been through many, many, been on many battlefields. A lot of warfare. But even in my defeat, it wasn't finished until it was good. God always turned it around. He always makes a way. You're going to make it. Your family's going to make it. Your loved ones are going to make it. Your children are going to make it. Your marriage is going to make it. It's going to be all right. God's going to make a way. Just don't quit. If you don't quit, the devil has to. God has given you a spirit of importunity and endurance, and you're going to make it all the way. Glory be to God in the highest. I don't know about you, but I feel good this morning. It's just good to be in the house of God with people of precious like faith. No place I'd rather be than looking at people that believe the word of God as I believe the word of God. We need one another. We support one another. We bear one another's burdens. We pick one another up because no one gets out of here without a fight or a warfare that you'll never find an unscarred champion in the Bible. Life will continue to throw things at you, but I've got the shield of faith and I got the ability to deflect. No, you don't, devil. No, you're not going to do that uh, depression. No, that addiction. No, you don't have no place. That sorrow. No, no, God's on my side. I've got the spirit of victory, faith, and life living on the inside of me. Let me just put it to you this way. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives on the inside of you. And if he can get Jesus out of the grave, it can surely get you out of bed and get you out of any situation that you're facing right now. Any depression, any anxiety, any worry, any, any trepidation. God's got a, a way to see you through. I just believe that this morning. Amen and amen. Glad you're here. Welcome all those uh, that are online this morning. And I just, I'm just encouraged. I'm just encouraged. I've seen too much. I know too much. I've been through a thing or two. Um, I love young ministers and I love young preachers, but when an old man gets up and says, hey, you can do this, and he's been doing it for 38 years, you got to believe him. Amen? Amen. Just believe an old man. Hallelujah. All right. I want to I minister today. I, I think it's going to be encouraging to you. And uh, on the other side of this, I, I believe that there's going to be a resolve in your heart um, that actually, actually might even just, just change your perspective on everything. We talked about perspective last week, and it depends on where you sit. depends on how you see a thing. And we are seated with Christ, so God wants us to always be able to discern and see things through his eyes, not the way they appear sometimes as we face them from a natural perspective. God is always working behind the scenes. He's not silent. He's not playing pickaboo up there. He's not saying, you know, catch me if you can. God is ever present. His hand is, is moving. You know, some, one time I was preaching in a church in Georgia and, uh, and we were, I was having a discussion with some of the, the elders and the ministers of the church afterwards, and we were trying to describe, and they were asking me, what is a move of God? What does a move of God look like? And I just basically said, well, a move of God looks different to different people. Not every, you, you might say, well, a move of God is, is when a church begins to grow and people get excited, and that might be true. 
But what's a move of God look like in your life when you actually see the God, hand of God intervening in your life and beginning to change the direction of your heart and shift your desires and passion towards him? Where you begin to stand up in your faith and believe in boldness and courage and declare that you have chosen a side and you've planted your flag on this hill and there you have decided to stand. What does a move of God look like? Listen, every person in this place, and I believe this city, I believe you can have a move of God in your school, but the first and foremost place that we need to see a move of God in, that you want to see a move of God in, is in your life. And I believe right now God is moving in the lives of every person sitting in this place under the sound of my voice. No matter what you feel, no matter what it looks like, God's hand is moving. You are on his mind. You are on his heart. And the sovereign hands of destiny are moving and the prophetic intent of God is unfolding in your life. And so even when it doesn't look like it, and even when it doesn't feel like a thing, God is moving. So you have to decide how you're going to see a thing and how you're going to perceive a thing. I want to go into scripture this morning to the book of Judges, the book of Judges. And uh, this is a, a story about a man that, um, that God had called, but he had, a, he had a perception. And everybody has a perception of themselves. And perceptions have a tendency to breed conceptions, and conceptions have the ability to bring for, to birth things. And, you know, you want to birth a brand new you, you have to have a different perspective, and you have to have a different conception to birth a different you. If you don't like who you are, you don't have to stay that way. Jesus said it this way, you can be born again by the Spirit of God. Christ can be formed in you. His power is available to you today. And we're going to talk about that and see exactly how we can tap into that this morning to keep the move of God moving in your life so you don't get stagnant or you don't get bored with Christianity. A lot of times Christians get bored and underwhelmed with Christianity because there are times and seasons when it becomes a grind and you go from faith to faith and you're, you're, you seems like you're in the valley way too long and you're always anticipating the mountaintop or maybe you just don't perceive that God is moving in your life and the enemy will put distractions in front of you and he'll, 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 he'll put discouragement in front of you and he'll try to get you to perceive something that isn't true. He'll try to get he'll try to get something to conceive in your thoughts and in your life that brings forth something that's not of God, not pleasing to God, and not who you're called to be, and not what you're called to do. Don't get bored with God. Don't get bored with, with, the, with the house of God. Don't get bored with the work of God. Don't get bored with the, the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to constantly have room in your life every day. Make room for the Holy Spirit of God. Talk to God. Minister to God. Seek him in his word. Seek his face while he may be found, the scripture said. Invite him into your car on, your, on the way to work. Invite him into your home when you get before dinner. Invite him into your life on the way to school. Lord, I just invite you. Holy Spirit, use me today. I want to feel your presence. And Lord God, I want to be used by, anoint me this morning, God. Equip me and empower me. I want to know your touch. I want to feel your energia flowing through my body. I refuse to let the flesh have dominion over me when I've got the power of God living on the inside of me. My flesh does not dictate my today or my tomorrow. The Spirit of God that lives on the inside of me dictates where I'm going, who I am, and what God's called me to be. I've said this before, and I'll say 
it again. Your flesh is a wonderful servant, but it makes a horrible master. Don't let your flesh be a master over you. You put your flesh where it belongs. Listen, flesh, you're going to obey me. I'm not going to obey you. Right? Ah, You're going to follow me around. I'm not going to follow you around. You're going to follow me into the will of God, into the plan of God for my life. I'm not going to follow you around to the devil's plan and the lust of the flesh, lust of the high and the pride of life. No, I'm taking control of that through the power of the Holy Ghost. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've got that spirit living on the inside of you. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, say, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. All right, let's look at uh, Gideon here in the book of Judges chapter 6. If we, if we look at verse 1, we can kind of find out why people that God loves and that God calls finds themselves in a posture of bondage. And here in verse 1 it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So these are God's chosen people, just like you are God's chosen people. And God promised them and gave them promises and put them in a land of blessing and he put them in a land of honey and sustenance and God put his hand upon them. He went before them into battle. They were victorious over, the, over their enemies and, and God showed himself to be the God of all gods. No fallen principality or power and or fallen demon or angel uh, had power, even those that worshipped idols and Baal and Molech that, that were worshipping false gods. Now, false gods doesn't mean absent entity. False gods just means fallen, de- fallen, fallen angels or, or fallen deity, divine children. They're not God. There's only one God. There was other things created before humanity. God, are you with me? God had created other things before he created humanity. We find in the Bible that God created angelic hosts and he created divine children and they were there at creation and, and God, they are used by the hand of God for specific purposes. But some of them rebelled. I don't have time to get into it, but they've fallen. And what they do is trick humanity into thinking that they're God. And so worship me. Uh, and, and the one thing that they produce is the, the pleasure of the flesh, and they incite the pleasure of the flesh, and it demands worship. They give, they give them the powers of the world and, and, and the wealth of the world, and, and in exchange for that, they offer back to them worship or sacrifice, whatever it takes. But anyway, the children of Israel, uh, they did that which was evil in the sight of God, so what they would happen to them, they went into bondage. What they did, the children of Israel, Israel, they stopped worshiping the living God and they set up altars in the groves and they began to offer sacrifice to the false God, the fallen God of Baal, a satanic entity. And they started worshiping and they were worshiping the gods of their enemies. And so as a result of that, they went into bondage. As a believer and as a Christian, most of the time when the heavens turn brass over you and you begin to take on a, a defeated mentality and a victimization uh, mentality uh, uh, and depression and oppression and, and you just don't have no openness of the heavens and you don't have any freedom in your heart, it's usually because your affections and what you worship 
has veered away from the worship and the pursuit of the true and living God. So Satan can counter, counterfeit a lot of things, but he cannot counterfeit the peace of God. You will absolutely lose your peace. We sung about this morning. It will dis- disrupt your joy. It'll disrupt your peace. And see, here the children of Israel, they were worshiping the living God, and God was supplying, and God was making a way, and they got bored with the worship of the living God. Sometimes the world will put a lot of its, how shall we say, It puts a lot of its bling in the packaging. Some of God's greatest gifts come in burlap sacks. It's not what you see on the outside, but but Satan always loves to bling things up. He makes shiny little things and and nice little things and attractive little things that, that appeal to your carnal and your fallen nature. And God, he gives you things that are eternal, that are spiritual, that are from within. Internal strength and internal hope and eternal love and, and grace and joy. Things that, things that they don't come with, with bling on them. It's on the inside. It's not what you see on the outside. Be careful what bling you run after. Everything that glitters in this life is not gold. Sometimes things that are the most glittery are the things that the enemy knows that he can use against you because he knows your weakness and what he can pull you away with. Yeah, run to God. Somebody say run to God. So here we have, they are in bondage. They've been there for seven years. They've been serving the Midianites. They'd set up false uh, altars and worship Baal. And then time was up because the children of Israel, there was a certain remnant of them that were crying out to God and saying, God, we don't want to serve the enemy anymore. We don't want to be in bondage to this anymore. Sometimes you got to get to that place in your life. I don't want to be in bondage to my flesh anymore. I don't want to be in bondage to that addiction anymore. I don't, I don't want to be in bondage to that way of thinking anymore. And sometimes, so, so what they did was they just cried out to God. And God heard their cries, and so God was preparing a deliverance for them. He was going to raise somebody up to bring deliverance of his people from the hand of the Midianites. And this just happened to be a guy by the name of Gideon. And let's look what happens here in verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak, which was Oprah, and that uh, pertained to Joash, the Aborite, and his son Gideon, threshing wheat by the winepress to hide from the Midianites. So here is this great deliverer, and he's hiding, and he's working, and he's thrashing wheat, hiding from his enemy, and he was afraid. But the angel came to him, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. So here we have a total contrast of how Gideon was uh, perceiving himself, and we can get an understanding upon that based upon his behavior. He was hiding. He was in fear. But the angel came and said, wait a minute, you are a mighty man of valor. Sometimes we posture ourselves in that way. We see ourselves based upon our familiarity with our, with our own personal weaknesses. Always remember this. God does not call the qualified. God always qualifies the call. 
Right? So it ain't about, hey, I got to be, I got to, I got to get qualified before God will do anything with me or before God will call me. No, God is just looking for somebody that was willing. One thing about Gideon, he was there hiding. He didn't feel like he was a mighty man of valor, but nonetheless, God called him because there was something in his heart God saw that God liked and said, because of that, I'm going to qualify you to do what I've called you to do. You may not feel like it. You may not look like it. But listen, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Look what he says here. And the angel of the Lord said, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is this befallen us? And where be all your miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt and, and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites? So here he's reciting what he used to hear. I heard that, God, you brought us out of Egyptian bondage with a mighty right hand. Did you bring us out of Egypt to bring us into Canaan to put us under the bondage of the Midianites? Where are the miracles? Where is the deliverance? Everywhere I look around me, there's nothing but oppression and depression. Everywhere I see, there's nothing but challenges and struggles and people living and dealing with issues. God, where are you? Where is the mighty hand of God? Where are the miracles that I heard about, that my fathers told me about? There's a young generation coming up today and I can sit here and we sung about it this morning. I can tell you about miracles. I can tell you about places that I've been and things that I've seen, the continents that I've landed on, the crowds that I've ministered to, the wheelchairs that were sat in now being held up. I can tell you about things that I've seen and the cancers disappear, addicts become free. I can tell you about the miracles that I've seen and walked through in my generation coming up as a young Christian. But you're a brand new generation. They're, my sons and my daughters, your sons, mom and dad, your sons and daughters, it's a brand new generation. And you can tell them about the things that God did for you. And you can tell them that how God saved you and how God delivered you. You can tell them what happened on the mission field and what you saw and how you saw the hand of God move and restore broken lives. You can tell them that. But listen, there's a generation coming up now and saying, that's great. I'm glad to see what God did for you. But we're becoming hungry for God. We want you to move in our generation. <clears throat> God, we want you to move in our lives. We're coming up. We're young men and women of God. And we, but we want it. We don't want to just hear about what you used to do. What are you going to do in our generation, God? This generation has a greater identity crisis than any generation that has ever been born to this people planet. The young people today, they don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. All they see is what social media tells them and what the music industry tells them and what Hollywood tells them and, and what these influencers tell them. This is who you're supposed to be. Wear this makeup and you can be this person drink this alcohol and you can be this man, drive this car and you can get this woman, listen to this music and you can be part of this clique, become a Swifty and you can be popular. I mean, all these things, this is who you're supposed to be. And all that, that free, uh, propaganda for identification of who you're supposed to be is coming up short in this generation. This generation saying it's not enough to be a Swifty. It's not enough to drive that car. It's not enough to hang out with that crowd. That music isn't doing anything for me anymore. Uh, that, that, that social media outlet isn't doing anything for me anymore. I'm bored with that and I don't like who I've become. I don't like who it's made me become. I don't like myself on the inside. I 
I don't like who they talk. I've identified with things to become something that they said that I should be. And that's who I am. And I look in the mirror and bless God, I don't like it. Yeah, somebody say amen. I don't like who I'm becoming. I don't like who the world says I am. I don't like the identification with the world and its system. It's not enough for me. God is wooing a generation. He's calling a generation from the fathers of the faith to the young men and the women of the faith. He's calling us in this generation. And not only is he calling us, he is equipping us. He is making a people ready to march on a sin-sick world with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. He's just going to and fro, seeking to find whose hearts are loyal towards him. Miracles are not over. The move of God is not over. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost is not over. God is not washed away and forgotten about this generation. He's not skipping over you. He's just looking to find who he can show himself strong through. Listen to me, young people, young men, young marriage, young men and women of God. God's looking for a people that he can show himself strong through. You might feel like Gideon up there thrashing and hiding from the enemy. But God's looking down and says, I see something else. Man of God, woman of God, young man, young woman, you're a man and a woman of valor. But look what Gideon continues to say and puts up his argument why he is disqualified. Huh. People disqualify themselves. I'm disqualified. Oh, you see me. I hear you, preacher. You say I can do all this. And you say God wants to use me here. And you say God wants to flow through me. And you say I can change and I don't have to keep looking at myself in the mirror and a reflection that I don't like. And a disdain for my own behavior and my own attitudes. I want to fix it, but I don't know how. I'm disqualified. Look what, look at the list that Gideon gives you here. <laughs> and Gideon said unto them, is the Lord... Uh, verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in thy go in thy go in this might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Okay. Now God says, It's me that's sending you. You're not sending your house. But look what he says. And he said, Look at his answer. And he said unto him, Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. So first he says, I don't have enough money. My family has no social status. They don't even know. Do you, do you, know, do you know where we live? <laughs> you know where I was raised? Oh, I understand about government housing. I know what it's like to be raised in the hood. I know what it's like to take food stamps to the grocery store and buy a candy bar, get the change, and go up to a cigarette machine and buy cigarettes. I get all that. I've been there, done that. I know you just thought it was here. And, you know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I know what it's like. I'm the least of my family. My family, we're poor. We're on the other side of the chair. My dad's even abandoned us. It's so bad. He said, I'm the, and, and not only that, I am the least in my father's house. Yeah. Not, not only is, is my house nothing, I'm the least of the nothing. I'm the low of the low. <laughs> and yet you're coming to me. 
You might be the youngest. Your mom and dad might have overlooked you. Your teacher might have overlooked you. The coach might have overlooked you. Your peers might overlook you. But I'm going to tell you something right now. God's not overlooking you. God's not looking past you. You might feel a way, but God sees you. He sees your heart. He sees your intent. He sees your struggle, but yet he sees your desire to get to the house of God on a Sunday morning and sit and listen and sit under the word of God and worship him corporately and come together and say, God, I don't have much. I'm the least of my family, but what I've got, I'm giving you today. He sees you. So he's, he's, he's doing his best to disqualify himself. He said, I am the least of my father's house. But God said, surely I will be with thee and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. Always remember this, God plus one is a majority. <laughs> you don't need a whole crew on your side. You just need God on your side. One day of God's favor is worth more than a lifetime of labor. All you need is the favor of God on your life. And you need to know that God's favor is upon you. You need to know that God loves you. You need to know that he's not abandoned you. Your perception and the way you see a thing and the way you feel about a thing might make you feel like you are disqualified. You got to break with the, with, the, with the failure of your past. You got to break with the familiarity of your past. Like I said before, you, you're not where you're going to be, but uh, you're sure not where you used to be and you're on your way somewhere and it's a good place God ain't done until it's good but I'm thinking about in scripture I think about a lot of these people who were disqualified how many how many can we go through what about Moses Moses he was a fugitive and a murderer but God used him to deliver two million Israelites out of the hand of Egyptian bondage here Moses was disqualified he would think why would God called Moses he stuttered he stammered he couldn't even talk and yet God was going to put him before a king not only that he was a fugitive because he murdered one of the Egyptians uh, trying to protect one of the Hebrews that were bound in slavery and yet here Moses turns away and runs from Egypt and goes and hides out in a mountain. And for 40 years, he's out there just trying to minding his own business, getting along with his wife, family, and father-in-law, doing the best he can, tending sheep. Right? But God wasn't done with him yet. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, say, God's not done with you yet. I'm telling you, it don't matter how young you are, or how old you are, God's not done. Moses was 80 years old. You would look at Moses and say, he's surely disqualified. What about Abraham? Abraham lied, said his wife was his sister. The seed on the inside of him was dead, yet God gave him a promise, uh, a promise about a generation and a seed and a son that he was going to have. And Abraham, he was sterile. <laughs> He was, he was naturally disqualified. He believed that, that, that he was so disqualified from God's promise of God, he went and found a handmaid and said, we got, I got to produce this child with the help of, of someone else. I, I, got, I got to do this. But God did not disqualify him. God said, wait a minute, you're going to have a child by the hand of, by my hand, by my miraculous hand, Sarah, whose womb was also dead. The Bible says that God brought forth the promise and the miracle. But on the surface, surely she's disqualified. Oh, what about, what about Rahab? Rahab. Who Rahab? Rahab. Rahab's, Rahab's in the Bible. Rahab was a harlot. Rahab had a high body count. Yeah, Rahab had some issues. Yeah. 
She had issues. She was, a, she was a harlot in Jericho and the children of Israel were getting ready to take over the promised land and God was about ready to pour, pour down the walls of Jericho and give the promised land into the children of Israel who'd been wandering in the desert for 40 years are about ready to cross over and get their promise and here is Ahab, the Jezebel, uh, the, the Ahab, uh, Rahab the harlot uh, with the high body count but yet God used her. You would think she was disqualified but God used her in the victory to bring back the report to the children of Israel on the other side of Jordan. Get ready because we're coming. And she said, I'm going to let you down with, with the scarlet thread. I'm going to help you escape the city. I'm going to help you get back and tell your armies what you saw. I'm going I'm to help you. But in exchange for this, all I want you to do when you come and you take down Jericho, all I want you to do is save me and my household from a destruction and annihilation. He said, all I want you to do is not together a scarlet thread so we'll know where you've been hanging out at. We will spare your family. You think she was disqualified. You think God wouldn't use her. As a matter of fact, there is a lint, her, her lintage and genealogy is in the genealogy of Christ. You can't disqualify yourself. God raises up who he wants to raise up and he takes down whoever he wants to take down. God doesn't have to ask anybody. He doesn't have to go to committee meeting or council meeting. He doesn't have to look at your resume. He doesn't have to look at you and decide, oh my gosh, have you done enough? Are you equipped enough? Have you done enough good to erase all your bad? Let's sit down and counsel together and figure out, hey, can we use it? No, God will raise you up. And he doesn't have to ask anyone about it. Yeah, Rahab with the high body count, she was disqualified. What about Samson? Samson, listen, bros. Samson was a player now. Yeah, Samson had some issues. Yeah, he liked the women. Yeah, got him into trouble. You would think, oh my gosh, this guy's a player. Surely God can't use him. He just likes women. He's full of lust. He's got issues. He's got problems. He, 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 oh my Lord. Uh, no, no, unclean, unclean, unclean. God said, I got a plan for Samson. I, I, I know where his weakness is. I know where his passion lies. I know where the, I know, I, I, I've seen him sit at the gate of his failure more than once. I know him, but I got a plan for him. I'm going to anoint him because I know Samson had been set apart by me and for my purpose. Uh, his failures on the way to, to my calling is not a disqualification. Somebody say amen. Yeah, you got this. You're going to make it. Some of you might look at your own children, your own family, your sons, your daughters, and you might think, oh my gosh, what, what the heck's going on here? It ain't what I thought it was going to be. It's not where I thought it was going to be at. Well, their, their journey and their problem between here and there is not a disqualification. God will bring them up and God will see fit to use them according to his plan. Don't look at what you can see. Look at what you cannot see because the things that you can see, they are subject to change. I said they are subject to change. 
I mean, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, God can deliver the alcoholic. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, God can set you free from addiction. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he can set you free from fear and worry, anxiety, mental, mental imbalances. God, in a moment of time, God, <laughs> yep, yep. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, say, God can. Yeah, Samson was a player. You think he was disqualified. What about Noah? Noah liked his wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't get any help up in here. I know. Noah liked his wine. But yet God said he was perfect in all, in all of his ways. He was perfect. He, he was a pure blood. He was perfect. And his children, God said, I'm going to use you. I know you like your wine. You got a hard day's work. But, you know, when you're done with your hangover, I won't pick up the hammer and the gopher wood and get busy. Right? No, you would think that disqualifies you. The thing about this, the thing about those things that you think disqualify you, when you find out that you're not that least of your family and that, that you're not identified with the wine and you're not identified as the player and you're not identified as the harlot and you're not identified as the fearful, oh my gosh, you will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye and the vices and the desire for the flesh and the women and the men and the harlots and the wine, just they, they lose their, wait a minute, I'm being used by the Most High. I got the energy and the power of the Holy Ghost flowing through me. When I pray, things happen. When I speak the name of Jesus, demons flee. When I move in the power of God, things begin to happen. How can any of this other stuff compare to the greatness and the goodness of God? Oh, what about David? He abused his authority to get a woman disqualified, but God said David had a heart after him. David had a heart after God. Don't disqualify yourself when God has not disqualified you. What about Zacchaeus? He was corrupt in his business. Peter, he was a denier. No, I don't know that Jesus. I ain't Hank. No, I don't know Jesus. Yeah, you know Jesus today. Some of you like Peter. Yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, Jesus, sing, sing, hallelujah, thank God. Yeah, Tuesday, you're going to be like, I don't even know about that church. I don't know, they pray in that crazy language. I don't know, they dance and spin, and that, that bald-headed guy just up there flinging sweat everywhere. I don't even know about that church. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Oh. I love it. You know, our church back in the day, our church, you know, in the Troy, Troy paper, we, we, we pastored here for 14 years before we moved to the South. And uh, in the Troy paper, you'd have a listing of the churches. You'd have the Baptist and the Methodist and the Episcopalian. You'd have the Church of Christ and you'd, you'd have the Pentecostal and you'd have this and that and the Methodist. And, and then you'd come to our church. It'd be under other <laughs> <laughs> other <laughs> other <laughs> turn and never say you're other <laughs> yeah I'd rather be other <laughs> yeah uh, I know everyone wants to be associated with what they feel like success is I get it I understand it but success is, cannot be measured in number what did Gideon do 
God said, you're going to destroy the Midianites. Next thing you know, Gideon brings before God 30,000 troops. And God says, what are you doing? Too many. I don't, I don't need what you think I need. God subtracts to multiply. Took it down from 30,000 to 300 men to slay the adversary. God doesn't work like we work. He doesn't think like we think. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are the ways of God above our ways. There's no searching his understanding. They're just submitting to his word, his will, and his plan, and just sit back and watch the hand of God move. Sometimes the only thing holding back the hand of God is us. We just get in the way because we got to do it and we got to fix it and we got to manipulate. We got to fix ourselves and we got to heal ourselves and, and we got to fix their problem. We got to fix that problem. Sometimes you just got to say, hands off, man. That's above my pay grade. God, there you go. God, here I am. I can't do this without you. I can't make it without you. Yeah, Peter was a denier. Yeah, Thomas was a doubter. Disqualified. Paul was a persecutor of the church and humanity itself put Jesus on the cross. Don't posture yourself and disqualify yourself. Don't fall for it. It's a lie of the devil. Don't fall for it. You have to break with that familiarity of your failure. You can't turn victimization into a vocation. Survivor is not a lifelong career. You're an overcomer. You're, there'll be some seasons where you're just trudging through, but that's not a lifelong calling. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. I'm an overcomer. Okay, yeah, flesh, you got me today, but tomorrow's coming with brand new mercies. And I learned something today that I'm going to apply tomorrow. And where I failed today, I'll be victorious tomorrow because I know something tomorrow that I didn't know today. God's with me and God's on my side. You can do this. You're not a defeated foe. You're not a permanent victim. You don't have to live there. You don't have to stay there. The problem is some people just like it. Some people just, just like being perceived a certain way because it gets them a lot of attention. Some people love to live in chronic crisis because they feed off of the endorphins that are triggered in crisis. It's like an addiction. Got to have a crisis going on. Oh, something got to be going on. Something got to be going wrong. And if there ain't nothing going on or ain't nothing wrong, you find something to go wrong. <laughs> My peace is way too valuable to me. <laughs> Somebody say amen. I told my family, I said, I'm going to go get me an apartment and visit you guys on the weekends. <laughs> family is awesome, ain't they? 
But family has struggle. Family has dynamics. Family has issues. And family has, has love. And family has uh, fights. And family has energy. And family... Huh. I can't get no help up in here. Yeah. I'm not disqualified because of my failure. I'm only disqualified if I perceive that I am my failure. Your failure does not define you. Your failure is not an identifier. And, well, wait a minute. Who's Rahab? She's a harlot. Who's Samson? He's a player. Who's Noah? He's a wine-bibber. Someone who, if someone coming to you and they, they would say, who, who do they say you are? They're normally going to identify you with a certain behavior. Whether it's virtuous or unclean. Yeah, you know what she did. You know, you know Rahab. You know how many bros she's been hanging with. You know, he's just a player. He don't love them. He just playing them. Yeah, she, uh, he just a pothead. <laughs> People will label you based upon your behavior. And that tries to put an impression or an identifier on you. That's who you are. No, that's just a bad behavior. God says, you're a mighty man of valor. Get up. You're a mighty woman of virtue. Get up. You're a, you're a man of integrity. Make a turn. You can do this. I refuse to be impressioned. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians, it says, if we are risen with Christ, let us therefore set our affections upon him. When you set your affections on something, if you look up the definition of affection, affection is because you have an affection for something because you've been impressed by it. You have, there's been an impression made on you. So now you, in turn, you have an affection for what you have been impressed with. Right? We do it all the time. Something, something you, you like, you like a certain genre of music. It has an impression on you. Therefore, you have an affection for it. That's what you listen to. I watch old movies. So all I do is watch old black and white movies. There's something about them that has made an impression on me that I like and I have an affection for it. Something wholesome about it that I'm drawn to that you can't get out of today. What has impressed you will battle for your affection. Let us set our affection on those things above. Has God impressed you enough? Has he put an impression on you enough for you to put your, give him affection in return? A lot of people don't give God, a, you, you, they don't set their affection or set them, their mind on things above because they, have, they don't feel like he's made enough of an impression on them. 
you get you get branded. If the Bible says, the Apostle Paul said, I bear the mark of the Lord in my body. I have been branded. I, I, there's been an impression made on me. It's unmistakable. And people that are impressed by something also in turn like to impersonate what they've been impressed by. An impressionist. Right? So, what has put an impression on you, you like to personate. You like to start wearing the things they wear and listening to the music they listen to and watch it like the football team that they like and go to the concerts they go to and Wear the makeup that they wear. and You're trying to impersonate what you've been impressed by. I've been impressed by God. I've been branded by God. My journey is to impersonate Him. Reflect Him. Let Christ be born in, be birthed in me. Let me take upon His impression, His character, His nature, His passion, His desire. Right? Set your affections on those things that have impressed you. You got a girlfriend, she impressed you, you're going to set your affections on her. Mm -hmm. I've been impressed. Man, look at that girl. Oh, look at that guy. He, I'm impressed. Now your affections, <laughs> you were walking this way, now you're, I've been impressed. My affection has changed. <laughs> my direction has changed. Ain't that right? <sighs> yeah. The problem is in relationships, they might impress you a lot enough to change your affection, but you didn't put any impression on them. <laughs> Just accept it and move on. <laughs> The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm about finished. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I have been impressed, my affection for the things that are above is obvious because of an impression that God made on me. He changed me. He did something that changed my life. And it changed my life enough to garner or deserve my affection. And just like in relationships. I've been married for 34 years. She still has my affection. She still impresses me. But in 34 years of relationship. There's times when it's hot, times when it's cold, and times when it's mediocre. But the impression is enough to keep my affection. You're going to have sweet times with the Lord, and then you're going to have tough times in God. You're going to have mountaintop experiences, and you're going to have times when you're down in the valley. 
You're going to have victorious experiences, and then there's going to be times when you feel totally defeated. You're going to overcome in certain situations, and then there will be times when you've been overcome. But in all of that, if you don't lose your impression, what does that mean? You don't lose your faith. You don't lose the reason why you do this. You don't forget your why. You don't forget what he did for you. You don't forget the vision and the legacy that you're trying to build with your spouse. You don't forget that it's not about you. It is about the children and the next generation because that's what he's concerned with. He's not concerned with how you feel about a person. He's concerned with, he, he's concerned with the righteous seed that he's caused you to produce. They are the heritage of the Lord. That's why this generation is so precious in the eyes of God. He has something strategic planned for you. You are giant killers. You are lion slayers. You can defeat the lust of the flesh. You can change your identity. You can go from being a player to a man of God. You can go from a high body count to a virtuous woman. You can make a turn. That, that's what you did. That's not who you are. God says you are a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. You're a virtuous woman. You're a man of integrity. You're a man of character. Don't you know what I did? I know what you did, but I ain't who you are. You can come out and make a turn. All right, here we go. You ready to quit? One last thing. How, how, do, how, do, how, do, how do we do the works of God? How do, we, how do we do what God wants us to do? John chapter 6 and verse 24, the disciples ask him the same question. What must we do to do the works of God? What must we do to follow after the affection? Have we been impressed enough? These people, there was a certain crowd of people that were following Jesus all around the Galilee. And they were following him for what he did for them. He fed them, so they followed him. He healed them, so they followed him. They were always going about following Jesus for what he could do for them. There will be a time in your life... When you grow up in God and learn who you are in him and learn how to operate in the power of the spirit and integrity and strength and stability and steadfastness to be unshakable and unmoving, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There'll be a time when you go from following Jesus because you're trying to get something from him to a time when you are following Jesus because you want to do something for him. Where are you? Are you hanging on to Jesus because you think he can fix that relationship? Are you hanging on to Jesus because you think he's going to give you a job? Are you hanging on to Jesus because he's going to give you that great career? He's going to give you, Jesus is the path to my, my success. Are you hanging on to Jesus because he, he, he gonna, he gonna, you don't want to make sure that he feeds you? Put, 
Put the roof over your head. I, I got to serve Jesus because if I don't, I won't have all these things no more and I want to make sure that I, I keep the food coming. These people were following Jesus for what he could do for them. Jesus says to them, he said, you have followed me because of the miracles I did and the food I fed you. I know why you're hanging out with me. I know what you're after. But he says, don't follow me for the natural bread and for the working of miracles. Don't follow me for what I do. Follow me for who I am. Because what I do on this, in this life is temporary. But following me for who I am is eternal. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. So he ends it by this, and we're going to pray. He ends that story, and you can read it, John chapter 6. He, he ends that story because the disciples come back to him, and they say to him, What must we do then? To do the works of God. What must we do? Okay, so they're, now they're having a change of mind. All right, we're following you for what you can do for us. How can we now do that for others? Huh. There'll come a time when you'll say, it's no longer about what I want for me and my selfish ambitions for what God can do for me. There's a point in your life in your relationship with God where it goes from what I'm following God for and what he can do for me to where I'm following God. Now, what can I do for you, God? What? Because truly, why you're, the reason you're here is not for what God can do for you. You're on this planet because God has called you to pursue after that which you can do for him. Your total peace depends on it. Your joy depends on it. Your rest depends on it. Tapping into what must I do to do the works of God. Not very many people in their Christian walk come to that conclusion. And not very many come to it early in age. Because our human nature is truly self-seeking. Selfish. I know I'm the only one. But... There's something in our nature that is self-serving. But true life and life eternal is serving others. What have you called me to do? Paul said, this one thing I do. 
I forget those things which are behind me that have, be, that have tried to be an identifier. I don't care what I did. And when someone mentions my name, they're going to mention what I did because that's how they identify me. I'm leaving that behind. Mm-mm. And you're divorcing. You're... Nope. That's not who I am. He says, I forget those things which are behind me, and I press towards the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. I want to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God, if you can use anyone, you can use me. If you can touch through anybody, you can touch through me. I ain't qualified, but I'm available. Therefore, I know you'll qualify me. I don't know everything, but I know some things. But you can use my mouth, and I'll say it for you. My hands and my feet belong to you. Yeah, I'm not here for what you can give me. I have been impressed with so great a salvation and a sacrifice that you made and the brutality that you suffered and the wrath you were under that belonged to me. I am so impressed. <coughs> when I look at the cross, I am impressed. You, that made a mark on me. Because I know I didn't deserve that. Oh, Jesus, that shouldn't be you. That should be me. And I don't deserve it. Nor do I have the guts to offer myself up for my own penalties. But I'm as guilty as sin. You took my place. You bore my sin on the cross. You shed your blood for my behavior, for my iniquity. You did that because your love, because you love me, and you do not want to condemn me to death. You want me to live. You want to have a relationship with me, this fallen creature? You want to be in, a, you are preparing an eternal home for this fallen creature? You took the abuse and the beating and the whipping and you drew a last breath and with it you said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And you went and you looked face death right into the face and you went right into the depths of hell and Hades you took the keys of death hell and the grave you paid my price you went where I couldn't go you did what I couldn't do and then three days later you said it's true 
trust me, how do we know? He who was dead is now alive. Showed himself to over 500 witnesses. Ascended on high. Gave the Holy Ghost to 120. And the church has been multiplying for 2,000 years. Lives have been changed for 2,000 years. People have been freed for 2,000 years. People have been healed for 2,000 years. They have been restored for 2,000 years. They have been changed for 2,000 years. And you're going to come up and tell me that the Bible doesn't mean what you think it means because you got some intellectual prowess that says I'm smarter than God. Are you kidding me? This book was here before you got here. It'll be here after you're gone. You can't kill the truth. You can't bury the truth. You can't stop the truth. Even if you don't like the truth, it'll offend you. It'll make you mad. It'll make you leave. But it'll bring you back and it'll set you free. The truth is the truth and it'll always be the truth. Regardless of how you feel about it. Uh, right? So, I'm impressed. (laughs) Is that your blood? Is that your blood? You did that for me? I didn't need Christ to do that for me to understand that I am unclean and not like God and that I am carnal and I'm so far away from his celestial presence that I got to put clothes on to cover my dirt. You did that for me. I'm so far from you. I look more like the dirt than like the image of God. I behave more like animals than I do the holiness of God. I got to hide myself. I got to hide my shame. Where are you, Adam? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. I've lost my celestial relationship with God, my Father. Why are you? Who told you you were naked? Adam, what'd you do? I alienated myself. I alienated my children. I I stripped my children of their celestial clothing. I stripped my posterity of their heavenly inheritance. I've robbed generations of humanity from walking with you. God said, I know what you did and I know who you are. It ain't always going to be like this. I got a plan. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to buy them back. I love them that much, Adam. I love you that much. I'm not going to allow your seed in the future of humanity to be lost to the dirt, to be lost to. So he hung naked. Bore the shame. And shed his innocent blood. 
hoping he could find somebody that it would make an impression on. You impress me, Lord. You deserve my affection. You deserve my worship. Whatever I have to lay down, whatever passion or lust that I, you deserve it. You deserve my worship and affection. All God is trying to do is impress you to get your affections to change your impersonation. I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to live with you. I want to sup with you. I want to dine with you. I want to seek you. I want to surrender to you. I'm weak, God, but you're strong. I've failed, but you're victorious. I can't, but you can. I'm a, I'm a murderer, but you're merciful. I'm a player, but you're merciful. I'm a wine but you're merciful. Oh, Father. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Can we just stand to our feet for a moment? And we're going to pray and I'm going to dismiss. And Oh, I just feel the love of God in this place. If there's anyone in here at this moment in time right now and you're feeling condemned, I'm telling you that's a lie of the devil. If you're feeling conviction, that's the love of God. Condemnation wants to disqualify you. Conviction wants to bring you. Conviction wants to be the qualifier. So right there where you're at this morning, whatever you think, wherever you're at, and whatever God's saying to you, if you felt like you're disqualified, that you're not enough, that you can't do it, you've you struggled, you said, I can't make it. I want you to talk to God this morning. I want you to hear what he's saying, mighty woman of God, mighty mighty man of God. I got a plan for your life. I got a purpose for your life. This is what God said to the disciples when they asked the question, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus said, very simple, believe on him who God sent. Do you believe this morning? Come on, just I believe, Lord. I believe, Father. Ah, I believe, Lord. I'm not serving you for what I can get. I'm serving you for what I can do for you. I want to grow up in my faith. I want to mature in you, God. I want to be anointed by you. I, I want to stand. I want integrity. I want courage and strength. I want to be that man of God, that woman of God. I want to look in the face of a lion. I want to face... The scars of a giant. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can we pray? Can we just say this with me this morning? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. I am not disqualified. I believe. My past 
is not who I am. I believe. Jesus, make an impression on me so deep that all my affection are set on things that are above. And everyone around me, I bring them to that which is above to be impressed by your love, to be changed by your spirit. Satan, I rebuke you. You're a liar. I don't believe you anymore. I'm a child of God. I'm called of God. And I can do all things through Jesus Christ. And I'm not condemned. (laughs) I've been bought with a price. And there's nothing you can do about it. In Jesus' name, the best is yet to come. My future is bright. (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Put your hands together one time.